believe in Jesus. Have him forgive your sins. And death is merely an entrance into life. And when you believe it, folks, there is shouting, there's singing, and there's praising. And here's the deal. It's a choice to rejoice. The precursor to the coming of Christ. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. For the last couple of weeks, David's been teaching us how the Christmas story is woven throughout the Bible. If you've missed any of these broadcasts, you can hear them again on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But today, David continues this theme with part two of A Choice to Rejoice. But but the next part of the story is after Mary's child is conceived in her womb of the power of the Holy Spirit, she goes and visits her cousin, Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife. And when Mary walks into the room, Elizabeth's like around three to four months pregnant, and Mary walks in newly conceived with Jesus. John, who's in Mary's womb, and Jesus, who's named such by God. What does Jesus' name mean? Savior. Because our greatest need, folks, is to be forgiven of our sins. Our greatest need is not a larger salary. Our greatest need is eternal life, the guarantee of victory over sin and death. So Jesus' name tells his mission. He's the savior of our sins. And when Jesus walks into the room with Mary, John leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. Now, now many of you have asked me through the years, why am I so doggedly pro-life? Because I believe the book, and one of the most powerful questions you've got to ask, if you're not, and you don't believe life begins at conception, and you believe that's just a mass of tissue, and just to feed us. You've got to ask the question, how can a mere fetus and a mass of tissue leap with joy in the presence of Jesus? There's some kind of Holy Spirit-inspired movement that happened in the womb of Elizabeth when John was in the presence of his Savior, Jesus. Next part of the story, John's born. And it's interesting, if you read the text closely, Elizabeth, right after that encounter with Mary, stays quiet for five months. And people have asked many times, why did she stay quiet for five months? And and I can't help but think of Marilyn, when after years of waiting and, and God supernaturally and miraculously gave us our first daughter, Bethany, I can remember so vividly with the first child and all three, as God was so gracious to us, Marilyn sitting in a chair with her tummy way out, and she would just stroke the child. And for months, she didn't go hardly anywhere. She just spent that time holding that baby in her womb, singing, praising, shouting. She took so seriously that gift of life and I think that's what Elizabeth did. She took so seriously this gift of life that she just sat for five months praying over this child, singing over this child, thanking God for the life that was in her. So when John is finally born, they they present on the eighth day John to the high priest for circumcision. That's the Jewish custom on the eighth day. And the priest asks Elizabeth, and because Zechariah can't say a word, he's still mute, what's his name? 
And she responds, John. Obviously, Zechariah had written out what happened in that moment in the temple, right? His name is John. And the people go, John, that, that name's not in your family lineage. Surely his name is Zechariah Jr. And Elizabeth gives Zechariah a tablet and says, tell him. And so he writes out J-O-H-N. And folks, the minute he wrote out the name of John, his voice came back because he'd completed the last act of faith, trusting that God's word through Gabriel was true. His name's John. Voice comes back. And here's what happens. Immediately after his voice comes back, what were the first words that came out of his mouth? It's called, as Mary's is the Magnificat, Zechariah's praise song, his shouting and singing is called the Benedictus. What does that mean? I'm about to tell you. And listen to Zechariah's first words after nine months of silence. Luke, the first chapter, verses 67 through 79. Here's what happened. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, sang a hymn over God and his son. And here his first words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. You know what I call that? I call that pent-up praise. I mean, for nine months, he couldn't say a word. And all he could do was think about God's glorious goodness and greatness in his life. And he waited for nine months for his mouth to be opened again. And what are the first words that come out of his mouth? Praise the Lord. I've thought to myself, if God shut my mouth for nine months, what would be the first words that came out of my mouth when they finally were opened again? It'd be something like, what's on Sports Center? How'd the heels do? Or something stupid like that. But obviously, the first response should be what? Singing, shouting, and praising, which is what happened with Zechariah when he knew his son was going to lead Jesus' message into the world. Praise the Lord, God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Without fear. No fear in the heart of those who believe. Without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, you, John, 
will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord, Jesus, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's Zechariah's message. It's the word of the Lord. You want to give praise to God for that? Because that's a true hymn of praise. And it's divided into two parts, Zechariah's song is. First of all, to God. He praises God for continuing his promise to have a Messiah come through the Davidic line, to continue his promise made to Abraham long ago that someone would come in through his seed and bless all the nations of the earth. He praised God. But then he also praised his son, John, who was called by God to be a forerunner of Jesus and to give knowledge for this major purpose, salvation to everyone and the forgiveness of their sins. Folks, may I say it again, your greatest need is to get your guilt delivered. Your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sins. The greatest need you have is victory over death and eternal life. John proclaimed that for Jesus, and he comes into the world to give light to those who sit in darkness and who sit in the darkness, especially of the shadow of death. Are you worried about death? Hardly a week goes by that we don't have someone in the church who's had a death diagnosis. Believe in Jesus. Have him forgive your sins, and death is merely an entrance into life. That's what Jesus came to do. And when you believe it, folks, there is shouting, there's singing, and there's praising. And here's the deal. It's a choice to rejoice. Amidst your waiting and your crazy negative feelings and your doubting, you have a choice to rejoice. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord how often? Always, again I say, rejoice. Looked up the word always. Guess what it means? Always. Rejoice always. That means when times are good. That means when times are bad. You sing songs of praise and shouting and joy to the Lord even when times are bad because there's something that happens in the heavenlies when things are bad and you continue to shout and sing and praise Almighty God. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's a choice. But there's something powerful when you choose to do so with your lips instead of griping and complaining. If you complain, you'll remain in your problems. May I say that again? Isn't that catchy? If you complain, you'll remain in your problems. But in your problems, if you have the choice to rejoice, your problems will lift. And you know God's taking care of them. One of my favorite stories has to do with Corey Tenboom and her sister Betsy. They were in a Nazi concentration camp among women, and their greatest fear that happened regularly was guards who would come into the women's barracks. The Nazi soldiers would regularly abuse them. And Betsy looked at 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that says, Give thanks to God in everything. She said, We've got to give thanks for this, Corey. Corey didn't want to. But she finally realized that's what the word says. It's a choice to rejoice. So they started giving thanks to God for the guards. And interestingly, one of the major problems the women faced was flea infestation. 
Fleas were everywhere. So they started giving thanks to God for the fleas. That really was hard because they were awful. Well, well later when the Allied forces freed the Ten Boom sisters and others from that Nazi concentration horror, they learned something amazing from one of the Nazi guards who'd become a Christian. Later, the guards stopped coming in and abusing the women. You know why? Because of the fleas. They didn't want to catch the fleas, so they stopped coming in. But they didn't stop coming in until Corey and Betsy and others started giving thanks to God for the fleas. Folks, God's using the fleas in your life that are just irritating you beyond belief for his purposes. But the fleas will continue, I think, until you choose to pray, shout, and sing, until you have the choice to rejoice and you give God thanks even for the bad stuff. As you're waiting, as your dreams and desires seem to be on hold, as God appears to be mute in hearing your cries, praise God. That's what Mary did, whatever. Zechariah didn't. God shut him up. Because there's power in praise, especially when it's bad. Can you do that today? Every biblical character at the birth narrative who figured out who Jesus was started praising, singing, and shouting. And it all revolves around this question, what child is this? Who is this child in the manger? Do you think he's just another baby born into the world? Maybe a good teacher, a good moral philosopher, but that's not what the text says. In last week's shepherd's angelic encounter, the angel said this Jesus is the Savior of the world, the Christ, that means the anointed one of God, and the Lord over all of the universe. That means he's Lord over your fleas. One of the most beloved Christmas hymns is called What Child Is This? tries to answer that question. It's put to a hymn tune called Green Sleeves. It's a very haunting, eerie hymn tune that existed back into the 1500s. Nobody knows who wrote it. Legend says that Henry VIII wrote it in order to attract Anne Boleyn to be one of his wives so he could finally have a son as an heir. It's legend. We don't really know. In the late 1700s, there was a man named William Chatterton Dix. When he was born, his dad loved poetry, and he prophesied over his son that he would one day be a poet. I don't know about you dads, but I did that over all three of my children. I asked God, what's your will for their lives? And I prophesied over them, much like Zechariah did with John the Baptist. Even as a baby, he said, you'll be the forerunner of Jesus. A lot of those prophecies come true, folks, if you're really seeking God. And Dix's father said, you'll be a great poet one day. What's interesting is Dix became really a marine insurance salesman, but he loved poetry on the side. And he kept writing poetry after poetry after poetry until finally one came to his mind as a deeply committed Christian. He wrote one called, What Child Is This? And here's how it goes. What child is this on Mary's lap is sleeping 
whom angels greet and anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this, this child is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, which is just another word for what? You know? Praise. Haste, haste to bring him praise, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian, fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross he borne for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh. God becoming a human being. The babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. All tongues and people own him. Jesus died for the world, for all people everywhere. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Is Jesus your king in your heart? Is he enthroned as king of your heart? This, this is Christ the king whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud the babe the son of Mary. When Dix wrote that poem, it became very popular and was even sent across the seas in 1865 where there was a nation called the United States of America terribly divided because of a civil war. And this poetry was read when Union and Confederates would come together seeking a way to heal the divisions between them. And eventually, at some point during that time period, we don't know who, someone married the old haunting tune of Greensleeves with William Chatterton Dix's poetry. The result, one of the most beloved Christmas tunes of all times, called, What Child Is This?, And if you know who this child really is, Jesus, your Savior and Lord, you will sing, shout, and praise, even while you're waiting, even with your fleas, because you know the God who loves you is faithful to God be the glory. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a discussion about a word we far too often overlook, peace. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, 
high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote about something that this world and this country and all of us need more of, peace. Yeah, it's another Christmas word that we emphasize during this time of year. It hangs from baubles on our trees. We have it written on our mantles during the Christmas time period. And I don't think we really understand what the word means. In our understanding, we tend to think peace is the absence of conflict. Mm. But biblically, that's not what peace is. Peace is the result of a life that's rooted in Jesus. We see in Galatians 5.22, some of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that flow from a life that is rooted in Him. In fact, over the last couple of times, we've seen two of those words in love and joy being fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, the third one is love, joy, peace. Mm. Peace comes to us when we are rooted in Jesus. But biblical peace is not the absence of conflict. We think in terms, for example, of the Abraham Accords right now, the peace that Israel is trying to establish between itself and other surrounding nations. But those kind of common peace accords can be broken at the whim or fancy of a nation or its leaders. Biblical peace has nothing to do with an outward reconciliation between two people or countries. Biblical peace is an inward reality, a fruit of the Holy Spirit that comes by just knowing Jesus is in control of everything. Mm. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace could very well be a lot of conflict going on around you, yet with those tribulations and trials, inwardly you feel the presence of Jesus, you feel his promise that he's in control of everything, you've yielded your life to him, and you say, no matter what comes my way, I know that Jesus who lives in me is greater than the enemy who lives in the world. And you're able to say in the words of that great hymn of the faith, when the author of the hymn had just lost some of his daughters in a tragic boating accident, he said, it is well with my soul. That's perfect biblical peace, and it can only come by a life that is totally and completely rooted in Jesus. This is so beautiful, and I've actually heard it said from another pastor that peace is the most often overlooked miracle. And when we go after, we want to see people healed and and experience miraculous uh, miracles, we often overlook peace as a great miracle, peace for our souls. And we need that now more than ever. Well, you know, Jen, all of us are going to die. And we can see miracles around us, for example, that might raise somebody even from the dead. Marilyn met a woman in India one time when we were visiting there, and she was actually on the funeral pyre, and she was dead, and they were getting ready to light the pyre, and she all of a sudden started twitching in her body and was raised back from the dead. Wow. Marilyn talked to her about the light that she saw and all of that business, but that does happen, Mm -hmm. but the truth is she's still going to die. 
right. again. And only Jesus is the one who has been raised from the dead never to die again. So we're all going to die. That's a reality. So the truth is, can we have something in us that allows us to face the worst in this life with peace? And that answer is yes, and it comes through Jesus. This is so beautiful and so encouraging for us today. Thank you so much, David. Joy to the world, listeners. The Lord has come, and when he has come, he gives us his perfect presence, which gives us his perfect peace. Another word to emphasize during this Christmas time period. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, hoping you have a great weekend.